And now, broadcasting on Star Worldwide Networks, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, and delighted to be here. The beauty of living in a democracy like ours is having the right to shape our future by electing officials to represent us. With three branches of government that hold one another accountable and a free press to keep them honest, we've come to trust that they are indeed acting for our greater good. We make monumental life decisions based on information we glean from media and elected officials, and decisions we make can change the course of history, often with irreversible consequences. When they intentionally mislead the public for political or financial gain, we are stripped of our power to control our own destiny. So, whenever I hear elected officials state a mistruth, a half-truth, or just a blatant lie, I wonder how they get away with it. The media often calls them out, but otherwise libel just goes without any meaningful consequences. Sometimes we hear media deviate from the truth without being held accountable. Granted, sometimes the tellers of tall tales are simply mistaken or misguided themselves, but sometimes it's intentional. Either way, libel has deleterious effects on people, policy, and society at large, especially when it comes from politicians we trust to protect our best interests or from media we trust to set the record straight. I often wonder why media aren't bound by the same standards as their advertisers who are penalized when they violate truth in advertising laws. I also wonder why our congressional leaders aren't sworn to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth when they're sworn into public office. Ordinary citizens are held to higher standards. When executives lie for financial gain, they're prosecuted for fraud. When a defendant is questioned in court of law and prosecuted for perjury if they lie to a court. The only time an elected official is punished for telling a lie is during a congressional hearing or in a courtroom. So why aren't they penalized for libel when they justify legislation based on falsehoods, or worse, defend injustice despite indisputable evidence that policy was made under egregious false pretenses? Such is the case with marijuana policy enacted during the Nixon era. It was based on lies perpetrated more than 80 years ago. The consequences of the war on drugs have destroyed millions of lives and cost taxpayers trillions of dollars. The damage it caused to our communities, economy, environment, justice system, and national security may take generations to reverse. There is no one better than today's guest to attest to this, Judge James Gray. He spent 42 years in the criminal justice sector. He was a staff judge, advocate, and criminal defense attorney for U.S. Naval JAG Corps and worked as a federal prosecutor for U.S. attorneys. In 1983, Judge Gray was appointed to the Santa Ana Municipal Court. The following year, he presided over alcohol-related offenses on one of the first drug courts in the nation. Later, in 1989, he was elevated to the Superior Court of Orange County and retired from that court in 2009. Since then, he has authored a book called Why Our Drug Laws Have Failed and What We Can Do About It, A Judicial Indictment of the War on Drugs. It was the culmination of his career, experience as a prosecutor, defense attorney, and trial judge. Those experiences convinced him that drug prohibition was a hopeless failure. In 2012, he was a vice presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party, along with presidential candidate and former New Mexico Governor Gary Johnson, and he is often called upon to mobilize civic leaders, government officials, corporations, nonprofit organizations, and the media across the country to explore alternative solutions to incarceration for drug crimes. He calls prohibition the golden goose of terrorism because it funds the activities of organizations that put our communities and country in more danger than drug use alone has ever done. Thank you so much for joining us today, Judge Gray. I'm really glad you could be here. It's a pleasure to be with good people and to discuss issues that just have to be discussed. 
uh, and I appreciated listening to your your opening there. Uh, probably the longest book title of any I've ever heard, but if you can get through the book title, you know exactly where I'm going. And I now call drug prohibition the biggest failed policy in the history of the United States, second only to slavery, and, and I think that I, that's a justifiable position. It just simply has not worked and you're right, the Nixon administration absolutely knew in the early 1970s, according to his own Attorney General Katzenbach, that drug treatment worked and incarceration didn't, but they went to the incarceration route for political benefits, and according to Nicholas Katzenbach, the benefits they received politically were just staggering. So it, it traces itself back there. But it's time that, that people speak up. And, and now people finally are. They're, the polls show that more adults, uh, voters in, in the United States believe that marijuana, for example, should be regulated and controlled instead of uh, uh, prohibited. And as I say when I talk to uh, chambers of commerce, or rotary clubs, or whatever, uh, how many people out there feel the federal government have all the answers? And I get some chuckles, but never anyone raises their hand. So individual states should be able, uh, under the Constitution, to decide how best to serve and protect its people regarding these issues and many more. So uh, <laughs> my last yeah. comment, uh, just to begin, uh, after your, your prologue there, was that, yes, the Constitution, uh, I, as a judge, would have occasional opportunities to swear people into various offices, you know, bar association functions, whatever. And, yes, they're required to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Then I have them keep their hand up and say, and also swear that you'll read it, because most people have not. And, unfortunately, that includes a lot of fellow judges, based upon the opinions I'm reading. They just haven't read the Constitution. But the, mm -hmm. the remedy for poorness in, in a democracy is more democracy, and people need to get more involved. They are, as to marijuana and soon other drugs as well, where the, the light at the end of the tunnel in this whole drug nightmare is almost over. It's, it's, in, it's in sight. Yeah, I sense that it's coming, but what really just bothers me a lot is that we do have that indisputable evidence that, first of all, that marijuana does not belong in Schedule 1. It certainly does have medical utility, and it has a much lower potential for abuse than Tylenol. So it just seems completely inexcusable that people, and especially elected officials and the people that they appoint, are still trying to desperately hold on to that failed policy and justify it as if it were absolutely the truth. I mean, how many times have we heard Attorney General Jeff Sessions, for example, declare out loud that marijuana is the most dangerous drug as recently as just a few months ago when he submitted that in writing to Congress to ask them to reverse the Obama policy that called for uh, no money being spent on prosecuting drug crimes in states where marijuana was legalized. Snowden, you're right. Uh, the, the whole situation with regard to marijuana, uh, it's beyond hypocrisy. Uh, you know, for heaven's sake, uh, do you know, you probably do, that, uh, of course, marijuana is labeled by the federal government as having no medicinal value whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's a Schedule One, But Marinol, which is a synthetic or artificial marijuana, is a Schedule Two drug. It does have, according to the federal government, some marijuana benefits, so it can be prescribed by medical doctors. It all comes down to this money, Snowden. Yeah. That why why is Marinol available by, by prescription? Because the pharmaceutical industry can make money on it, but they can't make money on a plant. So they have exerted their muscle to keep it in effect illegal. It's crazy, but uh, you know, <laughs> if you're looking for for reason and and consistency, you're looking in the wrong place with regard to a war on drugs. To the degree that the term controlled substance is the biggest oxymoron in our world today because as soon as you prohibit a substance you give up all of your controls to the bad guys and that's an enormous problem you know quality control is a huge problem in this whole area when we finally came to our senses and repealed alcohol prohibition you know the whole problem with white lightning or the the impurities in the alcohol causing many emergency room visits basically disappeared and the same thing will happen when we come to our senses and repeal drug prohibition as well but it's money to the degree that uh, are you aware of the two initial sponsors for this? It's, I put my hand over my heart because it's so heartwarming. Partnership for a Drug-Free America. You know who the original sponsors were? The, pharma the uh, 
alcohol industry and the tobacco industry. I mean, drug-free indeed. And now the pharmaceutical industry contributes a lot of money to keep marijuana illegal. It's wonderful from a marketing standpoint, but it is spurious with regard to public policy. Yeah, and you're a member of LEAP, which used to be Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, but now it's called... Now it's Law Enforcement Action Action Partnership, and the answer is yes. (laughs) Yeah, and the one really nice thing about Law Enforcement Action Partnership is that there are so many people like yourself who have been in the fields enforcing the war on drugs. And I spoke with a former DEA agent who, has, who takes the, exactly the same position that you take. And one of the things that I thought was just so interesting is in your, in your TED Talk that you gave recently, I'm not sure when exactly that was, but I thought it was really interesting that you were calling out some of those problems that have been caused due to the policy in terms of the cartels becoming rich off of uh, money that could be going into our economy. And, you know, with regulation, we've seen it in Colorado and in uh, Washington and Oregon. And, you know, soon we'll see it for sure in California, which is the fifth largest economy in the world. We'll see the economic benefits, but I think that we're also going to see an incredible drop in crime. Well, and, and you're right. Uh, Colorado and Washington were kind of the pioneers on this, and they they made some mistakes, and we're learning from them. Uh, again, uh, who says the federal government has all the answers? So let's let's go to the concept of federalism. By the way, our country was founded on the concept of federalism to allow each government, the most local government that can address a problem, be able to address a problem. So obviously the nation's military shouldn't be done by Texas and, and Alabama. It should be done by the federal government. That's, and by the way, it's written in the Constitution. But with regard to discussing or, or prohibiting various things that adults can put into their bodies, you know, we needed a constitutional convention, uh, excuse me, a constitutional amendment, the 18th Amendment, to make alcohol illegal. Why didn't we need that with regard to marijuana? And the problem is <laughs> the government is really sneaky because we did not make marijuana illegal in 1930s. We was a marijuana tax act. So if you or I could still sell marijuana to each other, say $10 worth of marijuana, they slapped a $30 tax on it. And then when you didn't pay it, they prosecuted you for tax evasion. It was only in the 1970s with the passage of the Controlled Substance Act for the first time that it made these drugs illegal. So, you know, we, we've been hoodwinked. And it's just time, LEAP, like you say, Law Enforcement Action Partnership, uh, has, it's made up of people like me that have been involved in law enforcement. And I was just today talking with a potential recruit, a former United States attorney in, in, a, in a central state. Uh, and we have the credentials. We've seen it personally. And we are here to tell you that alcohol prohibition didn't work. It just brought in Al Capone and Elliot Net and to, to fight with Elliot Ness. And now, with regard to to marijuana, we're going to take away a whole lot of money from juvenile street gangs and Mexican drug cartels and other thugs and use it, regulate and control it, use it to pay our firefighters, our teachers, and fix our roads. I mean, Snowden, how hard can this be? We're learning, we're getting there, and uh, we'll all look back. Two years, a minimum of two years after we have finally moved away from, dr- from drug prohibition and be aghast that we could have perpetuated such a failed system for so long. It will be that evident. Yeah, I'm absolutely convinced. And, you know, how much pressure do you think people on the bench today receive to actually prosecute marijuana offenders? I mean, um, to the, to the people, full extent in, in of the fairness, law. Well, of, of course. Uh, you know, it is the federal law. I believe in having reasonable laws and enforcing those laws. And while I was on the bench, I had to enforce some laws I did not agree with. Uh, I had to do it or I should have resigned. I didn't have to do it you know, quietly. But, uh, you know, there were some things that I had to do because I have to follow the law. So some of that, it is a violation of federal law. But the secret there, just between us uh, fence posts here, is that the federal government does not have the ability to do volume prosecutions. So, you know, and if they were to prosecute you or me 
as long as we were within the law of California, where I'm from, uh, you'd have to go to a jury of Californians, and they'd see through this. You know, uh, come on, this is not illegal from our standpoint. We voted in favor of Prop 215 and now Prop 34. So get out of town, feds. And so they're not going to get their convictions, and hooray for that. But, uh, you know, I, I don't castigate people that fo- that follow the law or that have different beliefs that I do unless, and there are a couple of them out there, that realize the tr- the in-truth or the, the falsity of what they're saying, but they're being paid to say it, so they're basically prostitutes, and those people I look down on and condemn. Yeah, and like I was saying in the beginning, it really is just quite a shame that it's not illegal for an elected official when they're sworn into office to uphold the Constitution and to protect the rights of the people that they serve, it really is just an egregious miscarriage of justice that they're not sworn to tell the truth, like you would be if you were swearing in a defendant in a courtroom. Well, Snowden, in some ways I'm going to part company with you on this, only from a practical matter of kind of be careful what you wish for, because truth according to whom there are First Amendment issues. Supposedly, if we have some elected official that's lying to us, the ballot box will take care of that. I understand that that has limitations, but to get in there and start prosecuting or or, uh, people for not telling the truth uh, when they're running for office, uh, it leads into a lot of places I don't think we want to go. It's just too complicated. So I do believe in the ballot box, and I certainly believe in the jury system, and I certainly believe in the media, which has fallen down in so many ways with regard to drug policy. You know, people in our country are totally unaware, ignorant of what's happened in Portugal since 2001, where they decriminalized all drugs. Drug usage has pretty much remained the same, but problem drug usage has gone down by 50%, for heaven's sake, because now they're not afraid of their own government. So if I have an addiction problem or otherwise, or if I receive a citation from a police officer because I'm under the influence, it's not to see a judge like me, but to see some medical professionals. Well, you know, Charlie, what's your, what's your addiction rate? What's your problems? What can we do to help you? Problem drug usage has gone down by 50%. And in, in uh, Holland, who they decriminalized all drugs in the late 1970s, they only have half the marijuana usage per capita in their country as we do in ours, both for adults and for teenagers. I mean, where are the headlines? Why aren't, why aren't people aware that there are viable options that have been time-tested and proven in these various other locations? So thanks to people like you and, and Get Bigger, I hope you become a, a national outlet soon because we need to have these discussions. Yeah, well, you know what, this is why we're here. And we do have a national reach. We're only starting to break into the more mainstream commercial stations, but we do have nationwide community station access, which is which is great because often in those communities, mainstream news doesn't always penetrate there. So, and we, we intentionally went that direction to try to educate people about the benefits of medical cannabis and also some of the injustices so that when it does come time to vote for these issues, they are well informed and they have the truth that's not based on a lobby's propaganda to try to keep the law from changing. Because, <laughs> I mean, we've seen that so much. And you know what, I have to go back and say, you made a really good point for me to think of it that way. You're right, it would be very difficult to enforce a libel law or prosecute people for perjury just for putting out propaganda or campaign rhetoric. And, well, you sure. know, that's and difficult. So I do the majority that. opinion, you'd, you'd be prosecuted for having a minority opinion. You'd be prosecuted right. by the majority. So that, that's, 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 I share your concern, but... Uh, uh, we need to to look at it uh, in a, in a slightly different sense. Yeah, you know, and uh, I've got to tell you, I, something I don't have all the answers for heaven's sake. And if I find people that say they have all the answers, I run as fast as I can in the opposite direction. But to to be able to put these ideas out and discuss them, because we have had a prohibition on discussion about this whole area. And when I sign my books, you know, why our drug laws have failed, I usually invariably put on there, it's okay to discuss drug policy. You know, just because we discuss it doesn't mean we condone drug abuse or, or uh, you know, we don't want responsibility for people in, in their own actions. But we, I've debated 
the drug czar General McCaffrey one time, and, and you know he'll label me as a drug legalizer, and you don't care if my 12-year-old daughter gets hooked on cocaine and wants to freeze people's minds. He wants to keep the conversation from ongoing, and that is simply not what a democracy is. People like you are fighting that, and hooray for that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, and people depend upon the news that they hear in order to make those decisions to vote for people that they think are going to represent their interests. But when they're misinformed, it just does feel like such a miscarriage of justice to be misinformed by the people we trust to act in our best interests. I'd ask our listeners to conduct kind of a study here that my view when we finally got all of these different cable TV channels and all the rest, I thought, wow, that's going to be wonderful. We're going to get a wide perspective of different views because of the availability of different uh, channels. And boy, was I wrong, because what happens is that the people on a particular station will find out what the tunnel vision is of a, of a small segment of people, their customers, and then they feed them what they want to hear. So we've gotten much more polarized because of that, because we have, for example, if listen to some form of news event and then quickly look at CNN and watch their coverage or MSNBC or Fox News or, you know, even PBS, and it's, it's different. I mean, the fundamental information is right, but the, the take on it is totally different. So I'd ask an experiment from our listeners here to intentionally listen to different types of media shows so you can get a wide, wider ranging perspective and maybe we can get away from some of this polarization that's just gripped our country to our detriment. Yeah, that is the problem with the narrow casting that happened with the advent of the cable industry. And, you know, it used to be that you had a choice of three networks and they were all basically broadcasting the same thing with no specific point of view to well, cater they had to, to appeal one, yeah, to they a wide-ranging group of people. So right. they did, Walter Cronkite and John Chancellor and the rest. But, but like we say, then, when you start appealing just to a narrow-minded folks, you feed them what they want to hear, and it's really, really harmed our country yeah. and, and developed this polarization that we're deeply into right now, and it's just a tragedy. Yeah, well, and ergo the reason why I have such concerns about misleading information that that it's being, you know, the biased information or information that's intentionally libelous. It's just, it's really damaging the fabric of our nation and the division that's occurring right now. There's just no convincing someone who's learned a certain set of facts with a certain point of view that there's anything other than that that could possibly be true. And that is very frustrating. Well, I have a solution for you. Let's just do it my way. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I've got all the answers. (laughs) I love it. So, (laughs) in fact, when I try to settle cases uh, when I was still an attorney, I'd say, well, let's be reasonable. Let's do it my way. (laughs) Uh, You know, so we just need the broader base, exactly like you're saying. But the answer is, just like a democracy is more democracy, the answer for tunnel vision is more media exposure and certainly more responsibility. And you were kind of hinting at it, and it was a shocking realization. But you're not telling me that money talks, are you, Snowden? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> oh, my goodness. How it, disillusioning. Yeah, money talks and um, bull, you know what, walks, right? So, <laughs> in fact, when you look at any of the monumental injustices that have happened throughout our history, and you follow the money, you can always see that there is some sort of advantage that occurs because of the injustice and it occurs for whoever set the injustice in motion. (laughs) It's just always. Well, monumental injustice. Let's talk about civil asset forfeiture, so-called, where, Mm -hmm. you know, the the police, the, the government can take your property if they just have a, quote, good faith belief that it was either gained through some form of illicit drug transaction or it was used in it. You know, you used your car to transport drugs. They can take your car. And then in most jurisdictions, still, it's up to you to take the initiative of filing a lawsuit to get it back, and you have to prove that it wasn't used. I mean, they are, they are seizing billions of dollars every year from people, mostly, by the way, the lower economic groups. It's not this big big drug cartel uh, merchant that ends up losing his Rolls Royce. It's, it's some poor slob who just got paid and has $110 in his billfold. And well, I know that came from a drug transaction, and they take it. And they're making millions and billions of dollars on this. Uh, and, uh, 
Now, there are groups, the Institute for Justice and the ACLU and others that are fighting this legally, but this is an institutional corruption that simply must change. Yeah. And to flesh that out just a little bit, okay, it's fine. You know, if you have a ranch that raised heroin poppies and you'd use it to, to make a lot of heroin, that's fine. Forfeit it, but only, Snowden, after you've been prosecuted for, for manufacturing heroin, and then take it to the same jury and say, okay, you've now convicted this person of this. Do you find that this ranch was used to raise it? And if so, then forfeit the ranch. That's fine. But then put the money into the general fund. Don't give the booty to, in effect, the law enforcement agencies because it, it presents a terrible temptation uh, or, or incentive to, to cheat and to go around the law. So, so yeah. with that reform, I would fully agree that, you know, if you use your Cessna 100 or whatever Cessna would be to fly in illegal drugs, sure, seize the plane, but only after the conviction and then put the money in the general fund, well, not and then, to the FBI. And then if, if found innocent, give it back. Hell yes. You know, that's, that the, is, the answer is yes. Yeah, that's, In fact, the answer is hell yes. Hell I, yes. I don't talk that way very often. <laughs> I know. But that's right. Well, I think, I think the, right. the word hell is acceptable these days in <laughs> broadcasting. I guess so. <laughs> if not, yeah, I'll I, find out and beep it out. I think you're out. right. But, beep. <laughs> but the other miscarriage of justice that I think is just monumental is the fact that people who are convicted of low-level marijuana offenses are stripped of their right to vote when they're released. So going back to the Nixon era and by his own admission in, in tapes of conversations in the White House, drug prohibition was really, uh, they had in the back of their minds that they were eliminating an entire segment of our population who were sort of, you know, the flower children and, and minorities and people who were making marijuana famous at the time because there were certain policies that they wanted to have passed that they knew that people on the left-leaning side of politics would likely not re-elect him if they were passed or they wouldn't support the legislation at all. And so th there was like this entire segment of the population with, uh, with certain political views that were completely stripped of their democratic rights as citizens by going to prison for possession of marijuana and some of them for long periods of time and their families were basically destroyed. And so how can we as a society make up for that injustice if marijuana is suddenly legalized and how does the U.S. government save face by doing that and avoid lawsuits from here to eternity for having destroyed those families or f seized assets or when perhaps a Supreme Court might rule that it's unconstitutional or completely a violation of public trust or law or whatever to have made cannabis schedule one to begin with, you know, and no, I'm afraid I agree with you. My problem is that I think the problem is even larger than what you just said. Uh, not only with regard to cannabis and drug offenses, but you know, if you, say you say a heinous offense, say you're, you've been convicted of robbery and you've served five years in prison and now you're off parole, you know, we 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 step on people, and a lot of people that made a mistake when they were younger, whatever, want to do well, they want to get a job, they want to support themselves, be off the dole, have a family, and and we step on them uh, to the degree that. In a lot of places, uh, you have to, just in, on employment forms where you're applying to get a job, you have to put a, an X in a box that you are convicted of an offense, and that immediately jettisons your application. Right. And you're going to be surprised at this, but I went to New Orleans about three years ago to a conference sponsored by the Koch brothers, who were vilified for all kinds of reasons. This was sponsored by them saying, we over-incarcerate, we've got to give people a chance to, to regain their lives, and they called it ban the box, which in any application, at least for the Koch brothers industries, uh, they didn't have that checkmark box on there, so they'd be, they'd be able to apply, they'd be able to be considered on their own merits, and then down the line they would find out, but by this time at least they'd have an, an edge into it. So if you've been convicted of an offense, it's, it's up to every state to decide whether and, and when you can vote again. Uh, I don't think people who are currently in prison should vote. But once they get out and they're on parole, I think they should. I think that, that their voting privileges should be reinstated or certainly after they're, after they're off parole. 
But other things, too, that a lot of licensing boards are in the states around the country uh, will, in effect, prohibit anyone that's ever been convicted of a felony from such things as Hair, trimming hair or or trimming trees or roofing or you know stuff like you have to get a license and if you've been convicted of a felony you can't get that license mm-hmm. that's nonsense and and we need as a country to look at that and start giving some second chances to people because otherwise of course they go back to crime they go back to using cocaine because they get depressed we, we we can't continue to step on these people like we have been and now i'm back into law enforcement action partnership again because that doesn't have much to do with the drug war per se. That's what law enforcement partnership is now addressing, the over-incarceration and continuing punitive actions against people that made a mistake 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at the percentage of our population who have been incarcerated or who still are incarcerated, and you compare our population to the rest of the world, there's that figure out there. I I can't remember off the top of my head what it is. I can tell you. Go ahead. We have United States of America has 5% of the world's population and 25% of its prisoners. Thank you. As I said on my TED talk, you know, either we're the most criminally oriented people in the world or we're doing something wrong. Which do you think it is? Because this is abysmal. This is simply wrong. And Mm -hmm. I, I say in California, my home state, I could find, within, you give me three weeks, I could point out 10,000 people in prison today that shouldn't be there. Either, you know, they're geriatrics and they, they couldn't throw their walker at you and hurt you, even if they tried. And, and at this point, they're not a threat to us. That's not to say that people like Charles Manson should ever be released from prison. But there's so many others that made mistakes. And say I, say I sold a ton of marijuana. And, you know, if you're going to do it to make money, it should be an offense. I mean, if you sell toasters because they're illegal, you know, if you violate the law intentionally to make money, that should be an offense. We should change the laws, but that's different. But 30 years in prison? I mean, 10 years would be plenty. 30? Are you kidding me? You know, and yeah. it's a fraud on the taxpayers as well. So we have overdone the incarceration, and it's, again, back to law enforcement partnership leap, but we're looking at these things and calling attention to people, and if you're having former prosecutors and former DEA agents talking like this, saying, you know, we're just much too punitive, people will listen, and they are beginning to, and, and yeah. hooray for that. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of people who, who will lose a lot of money when we do start addressing these things, and the private prisons, I think, is, is one segment that will stand to lose a lot, and they are a very powerful lobby to a certain extent, and that, that's an issue okay, that we have to I'm address gonna, as well. I'm going to part company with you again to some degree. Okay. First of all, the Prison Guards Union is the, is the strongest political lobby group in the state of California, so you're talking a lot of money one way or the other. What I would do, I, I think private prisons are actually better run and safer and, and do a better job than public prisons, but you do not allow anybody in that system to decide how long people will stay there. That's going to be a government function. And yes, they do have a lobby, and yes, they do require that in order for me to put in this private prison and run it, you have to guarantee me a certain number of inmates. But that's okay. But reduce the size of the number of inmates in the California and simply close prisons. But the prisons that we continue with uh, should, should have a certain number of people in them. But they do a better job, more bang for the buck, as it were, than, than public prisons. And we just have to be aware of those landmines out there. But they're going to exist whether you have public prisons or private. Right. That's a really good point that you make. And I love speaking with people like you, Judge Gray, because you do have a different perspective than someone who's reading about these things from maybe a biased point of view, people who look into it and advocate against it. So I really love hearing the straight well, talk, you. the straight truth, nothing but the truth. <laughs> well, no, it's, I say let's do it my way. You know, I, I don't have all the answers, but I, I do have a general background. Uh, I'm a libertarian. I'm proud of that. In fact, uh, you probably know, some of your listeners may as well, that I came in third for vice president of the United States of America in 2012. I ran with Governor Gary Johnson, like you had said, as a libertarian. But, you know, this is, these are libertarian approaches. Uh, yeah. Responsibility and uh, is certainly a part of it. And I go into this, and you saw it on my TED Talk then, that it makes as much sense to me to put 
the gifted actor Robert Downey Jr. in jail for his heroin problems, and he's had them prolonged for a while. He's doing pretty well now from what I understand, but he'll have to be careful. He always have those cravings. But it makes as much sense to me to put him in jail for his, mar- uh, his heroin problems as it would have Betty Ford in jail for her alcohol problems, of course, being the wife of President Gerald Ford and acknowledge she was an alcoholic. It's a medical problem, Snowden. Yeah. And, and bring them closer to medical professionals like they now are in Portugal instead of making them automatic criminals and pushing them farther away. And, again, my libertarian beliefs tell me, and I hope you agree, that the government has as much right to control what I as an adult put into my body as it does what I put into my mind. It's none of their business. It just isn't any of their business. My drug of choice is alcohol, like you say. It's more alcohol is more dangerous than Tylenol or, or marijuana, but that's my choice. And I could come home tonight. I'm home right now and drink 10 martinis if I wanted to. Easily a dumb thing to do and not medically healthy, but not a violation of law, nor should it be. It's right. just none of the government's business. And what unless you mentioned, I put your safety at exactly. risk. You know, if I drive a motor vehicle impaired by, you name it, marijuana, heroin, alcohol, whatever, that's a crime. Ask yourselves. What's the difference? And the answer is now, by my actions, I'm putting your safety at risk, a legitimate criminal justice function. And right. we've got to get back to that. Yeah. So that's I, all libertarian. Yeah. I, well, you know what? I really appreciated the positions that were taken in the 2012 and the 2016 elections, the positions on drug policy, because it does make sense. I mean, if you're not hurting someone else and you're only hurting yourself, you shouldn't be jailed for it. And what I found so sad was that there were so many young people who were on their third offense who were sentenced to life oh, in yeah. prison for possession of an ounce or more of marijuana. Just And the lives that have been lost with the, yes. the army going into cartel land in Mexico at the recommendation of the DEA in the United States. And look at all of the beheadings and the people that have been you know, their lives have just been destroyed because of that. And corruption, the violence, absolutely headings, all caused by our drug money. As like you heard me say earlier, it has nothing to do with drugs whatsoever. It's all drug money that causes yeah. those things. Well, let me get a little personal on this, too. And I have the permission from my daughter to do so. Uh, my daughter is bipolar and she's she's has her problems and she's had criminal justice problems as well but she's told me that you know sometimes dad the only time i feel normal is when i'm using and again you know if she's not harming anybody but herself bring her closer to medical professionals and and give her some help and then if you look at it and regardless of where our listeners are living right now i would venture to say bet you that the largest so-called mental health facility in their county is the county jail i mean we're taking so many mentally fragile people and they're maybe self-medicating to get rid of their demons or whatever else kind of like my daughter and and we're creating enormous harm against these mentally fragile people. And by the way, jail is the most expensive option of anything you can think of. So we're harming the taxpayers as well and, and not helping addressing the problem whatsoever. So let's treat people as individuals, hold them accountable for what they do, and recognize that if you have mental illness, you know, then, then bring them into a mental health facility instead of putting them into jail. So it's, again, now we're back to the Law Enforcement Action Partnership again. It's just so wide-ranging that there's so many things that if only people would understand, they would they would see and, and change their mind, and then democracy would work. And it is so important to let them know. But something else, too, along those lines, when you were mentioning self-medicating, I think that people do gravitate to whatever it is that makes them feel like they can cope with life. And whereas Marinol is bioidentical to THC, which is in Schedule 3 or whatever, and used to treat nausea and vomiting and side effects of cancer drugs and even depression, children with ADD, they're given drugs that are basically similar or molecularly identical to meth. And I think that there are people who gravitate toward, you know, people experiment when they're teenagers or whatever, and then they gravitate toward whatever it is that they feel makes them cope better, or they gravitate towards something that will relieve the withdrawal symptoms of, say, getting off of uh, legally prescribed opiate drugs, and then gravitating toward heroin because they know that it's biologically similar on a molecular level and will help them stave off those cravings and 
and we're stripping them of the dignity of making choices for themselves that way or getting the help so that they can find a legal avenue to treat some of the things that are making them gravitate toward those illegal substances. Precisely. And, you know, we human beings are difficult, complicated mechanisms. (laughs) And uh, I have personal experience. I adopted a son from Vietnam when I was in the Navy back in the 70s. And and, uh, he was hyperactive. And uh, we couldn't just figure out what's going on with Kai, but he was on, we put him on Ritalin, uh, which is widely maligned now. Boy, it sure worked for us, and he grew himself out of it and by the age of about 10 or so. You know, it helped him function. And uh, there are other people that, that are in the same situation. Make them be partners. Allow them to be partners with their medical doctors, and each person is different. And sometimes, like with my daughter, you know, she's on different medications and stuff, and sometimes as she develops, the, her body chemistry changes, and you need additional or different types of medications. So you need that partnership. And I'll also tell you that when I was on the mental health calendar as a judge, uh, there was one time that it was only one time while I was on the bench that I felt that I was really in danger right this minute sitting on the bench. And there was this man who was actually from about 50 miles away. He was a tennis professional, but he was here in Orange County, and he didn't bring his medications with him. And so he had got into some psychosis and stuff, and he was pretty, pretty dangerous guy when I was just 15 feet away from him on my witness stand. But then, you know, and I ordered that he involuntarily take drugs, you know, and take the drugs that he'd already been prescribed, because, of course, I'm not a medical doctor. I can't prescribe anything, but put him back on his medication. And 10 days later, he was back in my court, and he was, he was normal. And we were joking about how I'll never win Wimbledon and all the rest of that stuff. Some drugs really help people. And you can't imagine the number of people out there in our society today that have had the benefit of some psychotropic medication, and it helps them live a pretty much normal life. Yeah. So, and one more hammer in the in the coffin here we have today snowden thousands tens of thousands of our people in in our country that are in needless pain and the their doctors are so concerned about being prosecuted by the DEA for prescribing painkillers that they don't do it which is an outrage you know if you have 6 months to live and you're on, you have cancer or whatever else what difference does it make if you die addicted to some form of painkiller i mean let's stop the government from practicing medicine and hold the medical doctors up to staying within the the bounds of their profession but uh, I get excited about this. I was on the O'Reilly Factor one time uh, until a long time ago when uh, they had a new drug czar being or new, new DEA chief being sworn in. And I said at the time, you know, I'm sorry, sir, that you're you're on this job. You're just bringing again more police into the action. Wouldn't it be better if you had a medical doctor like the Surgeon General decide which drug should be on which schedule? marijuana or otherwise, instead of a police officer, because it had been delegated by the president to the head of the DEA to decide which drug should be on which schedule. And that's disgusting. You know, that's a medical issue. Get the government out of making these medical decisions and hold people accountable for their actions. Yeah. And give doctors the freedom, too, to actually discuss alternatives. Because doctors yes, will be stripped ma'am. of their medical license if they discuss cannabis with a patient. Now, the Supreme Court has rallied for that one, and it was a freedom of speech issue, and the doctors can still do that. They can make recommendations. They cannot, cannot prescribe, prescribe marijuana yeah. because it's a, it's, a, it's a Schedule One drug, but they can make the recommendations. So at least the Supreme Court got that one right. Yeah, and I, I think even though the Supreme Court did get that right on a federal level, in states where it's still prohibited, it's a fine line that they have to walk there. I had a licensed counselor on an interview last week, and she was telling me that she was afraid for her license, really, if she were to enter into discussions, because she's, she's had the experience that some people, and she lives in a prohibition state. People have had their, their licenses questioned and some taken away. That's a legitimate concern. Yeah. You're right. And she was right to be concerned. And the same but goes again, for it, the, it's a state issue. Yeah, it but, is. Yes. And the same goes for the VA. You know, on a federal level, yes. they're not allowed to strip veterans of their benefits just because they have THC in their system when they get a blood test. However, I, it doesn't stop the VA in states where it's not legal. It doesn't stop them from forever marring them on their record as 
as addicts or substance abusers, which makes them ineligible for other treatment. And if they do have cannabis in their system, they're denied pain medicine, even though they might be missing some limbs and have Yep. ghost pain to deal with. You're you know, right, and, and, and it veterans. keeps going on and on. You can lose your job, too, if you're on medical marijuana. Right. Your employer under, in many states is empowered to fire you, even though there's no impairment whatsoever. Yeah. But, and know, athletes I, I can get my children on the comment. <laughs> yeah, and that's true, and that's true, and that's, that's another silliness. But I raised my children on the saying, ask them if you want, who says life is fair, and when it isn't, but we all have an obligation to make it less unfair. And these are, in capital letters, these are areas that it's simply abusively unfair. And uh, we just need to work harder. So, yeah. Snowden, get busy. You should double your number of shows. <laughs> Thank you. I'm working on it. Yeah, and we can use all caps, get involved. All caps, Indeed. over and over again, get involved. And I'm constantly reminding people that they can call their legislators. They can join civic action groups and try to change yes. the laws in their local communities. And in states like uh, Arizona, where I am, you know, people living in one city are barred from having any access whatsoever to cannabis because the city councils or certain groups have gotten together yes. and said, we don't want it in our neighborhood. So, yeah, they have to get involved on whatever level and to educate themselves outside of their own little bubble. You know, if, if they're constantly listening to extremely left-leaning news or extremely right-leaning news, get somewhere in the middle, like you said early on in the show. You know, we as citizens have numbers of benefits for being Americans, but we also have obligations, and you're touching on this too. And One is to vote. Personally, I don't think that a high voter turnout is a victory. I want people that, that learn about the issues and educate themselves about the issues in whatever fashion to, to do that. That's our obligation. To serve on juries, very important civilian control over government. To pay our taxes. Yes, I'm a libertarian. Our taxes are too high, but, but yes, to pay our taxes. But the reason I'm bringing this up, a fourth obligation that we have as citizens is to make the system work. And, and that's what you're saying, you know, to sit back and say, oh, ain't it awful. In a democracy, you get the government you deserve, and right now we're not doing a very good job. So write your letters to the editor or contact, in fact, send a handwritten letter. I know that's a lost art now. But send a handwritten letter to your mayor or your member of the legislature or whomever about an issue that's coming up. Those will get attention. And those will really get, as long as you can vote for the person. If you can't vote for him or her, forget it. You're wasting your stamp. But otherwise, you will make your voices heard. And by the way, if you, you have somebody, a mayor or something, you can get 15 people, constituents together, invite the mayor over and she'll come. You know, oh, 15 constituents, they care. That probably is worth 150 votes by the time they finish talking to their friends. So, you know, if you're concerned about having a needle exchange program or about uh, felons not being able to vote or whatever your issue is, write to your legislatures. And if you can get a group together of 10, 20, 30 people, they will make appearance and that will make change. Make the system work, guys. It's up to us. Yeah. Well, I'm getting a signal that it is time for us to start wrapping it up. Are there any other last thoughts that you'd like to convey or have people take away from this conversation? Yes. You know, we are blessed. Uh, my life has never been better. The answer to life is enjoy it when you have it. And the most important thing, I think, in life is getting gratification, not money, not power, not prestige, not love even. You can get gratification from those things, but making the world a slightly better place. It can be save the redwoods or help the, the orphanages or whatever, but it's up to us and, and getting that gratification. Snowden, you must feel a bunch by, by getting these various ideas uh, out there in the public. Uh, I learn every time. I've learned from you. I hope that, you know, we can share information together. And we haven't shouted at each other. We can have disagreements uh, without without saying that, you know, you're betraying me, that if you don't agree with me, you're an evil person. We just need to get back to a discussion 
with each other, and that's what you're promoting. Bless you. Thank you for doing that, and I look forward to sharing some other thoughts with you. And <laughs> We'll go into school choice sometime, if you wish. A huge issue that, that I'd love to discuss with you on, a, on another show sometime. Oh, you know what? That is something that really interests me, too, and no doubt I would love to have you come back on the show again. Um, we have some pretty exciting shows coming up. I'm going to be talking to some public figures on a domestic level and on an international level about some of these same issues that you've talked about. I've had a conversation with President Vicente Fox recently, and that episode will be airing very soon. And I'll keep everyone posted about that. But he also mentioned a lot of the same problems that you've mentioned and, and that you spoke about in your talk. So, and I will also share your TED talk with my guests oh, on you. the episode. and If you would for me, I, I was just thinking of this. Uh, every week I send out by email something I call Two Paragraphs for Liberty, and it talks about numbers of various things short, so people will read it. So if, if I can send you the link to it, uh, if you would. And uh, also yeah, my email do. address is Jim is in James, J-I-M, P is in Papa, Gray, G-R-A-Y. So it's Jim P. Gray at sbcglobal.net. Yeah. Jim P. Gray at sbcglobal.net. Okay. And uh, you can give out my email to other people if they, you think they would like to get to Paragraph for Liberty. And I'd certainly send it to you also if you'd like it. Thank you. You know what? I would love that. Pleasure. It is time to bring the show to a close. It always goes by too quickly, and there's just so much information. But uh, I want to personally thank again my guest, Judge James Gray, for sharing his insights and knowledge with us today. If you'd like to learn more about the work that he is doing with LEAP and in other areas, please look us up on thecannabisreporter.com. Click podcast to find today's episode. And I will post his bio along with information and um, links to where you can learn more about him and the TED Talk video, which I really encourage everyone to watch and listen to very useful information. We have a lot of other people to thank. First, I would like to express our gratitude for our radio sponsors, Hemp Meds, Helterra, and Compassionate Certification Centers. We certainly couldn't be doing this without you. I'd also like to thank Dr. Brian Donner for our Medical Marijuana Minute, Eric Goodall, the composer of our theme song, Evergreen, and of course it goes without saying how much we appreciate our producer Ed and engineer John and the team here at Star Worldwide Networks for making us shine. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Snowden Bishop inviting you to join me again next week for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Evergreen is calling, evergreen is always Are you getting enough CBD each day? Hemp Meds carries the most trusted CBD oil brands like Real Scientific Hemp Oil and Dixie Botanicals to make it easy to add cannabinoids like CBD to your diet. We hold all our hemp oil products to our rigorous triple lab tested standard to ensure that you and your family receive only the highest quality and most reliable CBD products. Hemp Meds is your trusted source for CBD. Visit hempmeds.com to get our premium CBD oil today. Use discount code CBD20 to get 20% off your first order. You're busy running around from work to kids to evening events. Healthcare shouldn't be adding to your daily running around. Simplify your healthcare with Helterra. For only $15 per month per individual or $18 per month per family with up to nine kids, by the way, you can eliminate doctor office visits with 24-7 access to doctors via phone, video, or the mobile app. Not only do you get prescriptions filled over the phone, but save up to 85% on those prescriptions. This is a supplemental plan and not insurance. Healthcare made easy. Helterra.com.